Welcome to the Harvest House Church Sermon of the Week podcast. Our vision is to empower each person to know God, experience freedom, and discover their purpose to make a difference. Enjoy the message from this past Sunday. All right. Good morning. You guys look good. Um, man, I... After the worship, I just want to jump to the end of this message. (laughs) I am asking that God would set someone free this morning from the fear of condemnation, from the dread, from the weight of condemnation. The The one weapon the enemy has against us was condemnation. They're guilty, God, and it's been removed. He's been disarmed. Okay, I just want to jump to the end, but I'm not going to. We're going to build, we're going to get there. But I'm asking God that he would stir our affections for Jesus, that we would love him, that we would see him as he is, that that we would worship him, that we would see him as worthy of our lives. And I'm hoping that he will knock out every one of those enemies that stands in our ways, fear, condemnation, death, sin. So last week... We began Worthy as the Lamb, part one. This is part two, but before we jump in, I just want to uh, go back over what we talked about last week. Um, I want to read Revelation 5 again because it's so good. I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. And I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy. No one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of God's throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. And he, the the lamb, went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, fell down and worshiped. Last week in, in Revelation chapter five, We saw that Jesus is worthy of your life because of who he is. Jesus is supreme. He is unrivaled, unmatched, unequaled. What does Revelation 5 say? No one in heaven or earth or under the earth, no one was found worthy except one. The Lion of Judah, who is also the Lamb of God. No one is found worthy. The only one to carry out God's salvation and bring history to an end is Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. And Jesus is God. The Bible doesn't give us the option, we talked about last week, to think of Jesus as a good moral teacher, a good example, or just a good person. He is all those things. He's a perfect person, a perfect teacher, a perfect example, but he is God in human flesh. Jesus is awesome. He is perfect. The seven horns, the seven eyes, seven spirits, remember that talks about his all-powerful, all-seeing, all-knowing, all-present. That's Jesus. He is God. He's awesome, and he's worthy of our lives. I was thinking about this yesterday. Um, Jesus is not like an HGTV show. He's not like the host of a show that comes into your dilapidated, busted home and gives you advice on how to renovate it. Jesus is not like Marie Kondo, the joy of tidying up. 
As fun as that is, Jesus doesn't come into your house, say, hey, pile all your books in the floor and all your clothes and then keep that one. Does this one bring you joy? No, keep it. I'll take that one. No, Jesus bulldozes your house and he builds a new house and he moves into it with you. And then he says, hey, why don't you introduce me to your neighbors so I can bulldoze their houses and build a neighborhood? Um, Jesus wants our lives. And the most beautiful thing, the first song we sing, Jesus, all for Jesus, it's only in your will that I'm free. It's only in your will. The enemy wants to, to, to lie to you and say, if you come to Jesus, it's going to be boring. You're not going to have fun. That is the opposite. There is love, unshakable hope, joy, freedom found only in Jesus. If you lose your life for his sake, you will find it. That's what Jesus says. So we talked about Jesus is supreme. Jesus is God. Jesus is worthy of your life because he's the lion and the lamb the lion who conquered death by becoming a lamb that was slain for you and me. The lion who could have devoured the very people nailing him to the cross, but as the lamb said, Father, forgive them. That's our king. And remember, we talked about the one who loves you most, the one who knows you best loves you most. The one who created you knows everything about you, everything, loves you most. That is awesome. It makes us want to worship. It makes, it makes this, these uh, elders and these uh, beings and these angels want to worship too. They break out into song all the time in Revelation. So we're going to dive back into chapter five, and I want us to see that Jesus is worthy of your life, not just because of what, who he is, but because of what he has done. I want to talk about the gospel this morning, the good news. You could say that the good news simplified is what Jesus has done. The good news is what Jesus Christ has done. And we talked about who Jesus Christ is, and now I want to talk about what he's done. Jesus has redeemed a people. Jesus has redeemed a people. Look at verse 9. We're going to keep going in chapter 5. <clears throat> verse 9, and they sang a new song, saying, you are worthy, this lamb, to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. And then worship breaks out. Many angels, 10,000, thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000, they circle the throne, they circle the lamb who's at the center of God's throne, all the living creatures, all the elders. This is representing every being, every one of God's people, all people, all angels surrounding Jesus and saying, singing out, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them, everything saying to him who sits on the throne, to the lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the living creature said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. I love it. Heaven breaks out in a praise. I said this in the first service. It still just strikes me. And I try to, I try to fix this. Uh, on my mind when we come here Sunday morning or, or, or when I go to any setting like this, that we are not starting a worship service at 9 a.m. or at 11 a.m. We're joining one. We're joining a worship service that is going on in heaven that is saying, worthy is the Lamb. And we're participating to that. We're adding our voices to the chorus. We're adding our work. We're adding our service. We're adding, adding our giving to that worship 
All of our lives is worship. Jesus, remember, he doesn't want to renovate your house. He wants the whole thing, okay? Um, we are joining a worship service. So I just wanted to say that. Let's talk about redemption. Jesus has redeemed a people. Uh, I, I like to think about the gospel. It's like this, this beautiful diamond. And have you seen light when it's shown through a diamond and it refracts? shoots out different colors, different intensities, and you can turn that diamond and you'll just see different glimmers, different colors of the rainbow. That, that's kind of how the gospel is in the Bible. The, the Bible uses a lot of words to describe and to glorify what Jesus has done for us. Um, salvation, justification, ransom, propitiation, atonement, redemption. Each of those words is packed with meaning and with beauty, um, but we're gonna look at redemption this morning. Uh, Verse 9, chapter 5. Let me go back to it so you can see it. You are worthy. The Lamb is worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe, nation, tongue. This is the NIV version. If you have the New King James, it'll say redeemed. You redeemed for God persons. Now, if you have the ESV or the New American Standards, it's going to say ransomed. I love all these words, and you put them all together, and you get this beautiful picture. Um, you were purchased, you were redeemed, you were ransomed. I chose this because purchased, we can immediately get. Okay, bought, bought. But, but all of these words, we could, put, we could say this, you're worthy to take the scroll to open the seals. You were slain, and with your blood, you purchased, you redeemed, you ransomed for God, persons. Um, so let's look at this uh, definition of redemption. Redemption is the act of saving or being saved from sin or evil. It's also the action of regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for payment or debt or clearing a debt. Now, this is not the Greek dictionary. This is the English dictionary, and I chose it because it's preaching the gospel in the definition of redemption. Um, redemption has these two meanings coming together, salvation by purchase, rescue from sin and evil by clearing a debt. It's the idea of setting a slave free. Buying a slave and then setting them free. That's what redemption means. So this morning I want to look at three things and then I want to uh, talk about how we have no condemnation in Jesus. Three things. What are we redeemed from? What was the price of our redemption? And then what are we redeemed for? What are we redeemed from? What was the price of our redemption? And what were we redeemed for? I didn't make separate slides, so you're going to get all the answers at once. Boom. Okay, so you got them all. Um, so if you need to slip out, you've got the, the, most of the sermon. Um, so Jesus has redeemed a people from slavery. He's purchased us to set us free. Now, I don't know if you remember um, in Luke chapter 4 when Jesus came and he gave his mission statement. He enters in the synagogue he says, hey, give me the scroll of Isaiah. He gets Isaiah. He takes it to the place, and he stands up in front of the synagogue, and he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the captives and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the slave free. Redemption is the language of setting slaves free. And Jesus, it said, rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the guy, and sat down. And he said, in your hearing, this has been fulfilled. It is awesome. I love that. 
I love that. Jesus comes, he says, here's why I'm here, to set captives free. 30-second sermon, gives a scroll back, sits down. It's, I'm the one that's here. I'm doing it. Um, so he comes to set us free, to break chains, to clear debts, to pay whatever it costs to save the person. That's what redemption means, to buy a slave and set them free. Well, what are we set free from when you, when you say, I got saved, or I was saved, or I am saved, right? Saved from what? Who are the, who are the slave masters? Let me, there's a clue in Revelation chapter 1, uh, 5 through 6. Revelation 1, verses 5 through 6. It says this, to him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom and priest to God the Father, to him be glory and dominion forever. You see the kingdom, the priests, were set free from our sins. It was our sins that held us captive. Jesus said that anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Um, and unless someone frees us from our sin, and what is sin? It's rebellion, it's going our own way, it's self-seeking, and we're bent towards that. We're bent away from God's way. And the Bible says that whatever thing controls you is your master, and we are under sin. Way back in the garden, in Genesis 3, humanity said, I'd rather do it my way, not your way, God. And we became slaves to our own desires, our own passions, not knowing that worshiping God is where true freedom is found. Not only were we slaves to sin, but we've got another problem. We owed a debt that we couldn't pay. There's consequences for sin that are devastating. We rebelled against a holy and perfectly just God enslaved to rebellion. And Romans says that we've all sinned. We've all gone our own way. And the punishment for that is death. So we need freedom from sin, but we also need freedom from the consequences of sin. And lastly, we need freedom from the power of the evil one, redeemed from the power of Satan. Uh, I, I wanted to stick mainly in Revelation. So if you, if you have your Bibles or if not, uh, you can jot it down. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9 says this, the great dragon was cast out of heaven, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, and he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast with him. So we see this, this, this dragon, which is called the serpent of old, going back to Genesis chapter three. He's called the devil. That means slanderer, liar. He lies about you. Satan means accuser. He's the accuser of God's people, and he's the deceiver of the whole world. We're enslaved to whatever controls us. And this serpent of old deceived humanity to get us to believe, hey, I'm better off doing my own thing. I'm better, better off being my own God. And we became slaves to sin and death and the evil one. <laughs> but that's not the end of the story, right? Jesus redeemed a people from the power of sin. Hebrews 2.14 says this, Inasmuch then as children have partaken of flesh and blood, Jesus likewise shared in the same, that through his death, Jesus might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to slavery. So we were redeemed, ransomed, purchased from sin, purchased from slavery, from our consequences, from the power of the deceiver, and next, I want us to see what was the price paid to set us free? What did it cost? Revelation chapter five, you were slain and you have redeemed us to God by your blood. You were slain and you have redeemed us to God by your blood. The payment was the death of the lamb, right? 
Jesus paid the price to redeem people. And listen, I, if, if you're a slave, it doesn't do much good to say, um, yeah, but there was this guy who was really smart. He had some good teachings. He lived for 33 years, did some good stuff. He, he'll give you some really good life advice. If you're a slave, you need a savior, right? Jesus was a savior. We need someone who loved us enough to come into our prison, who loved us enough to come where we are and someone strong enough to break the chains, break off the shackles, overcome the slaveholders and carry us to safety. And that's what makes Jesus Christ unlike anyone else. There's no God like our God. Hinduism tells you that you can gain release from karma, new age spirituality, that you can work at your own divinity and your own enlightenment. Buddhism, that you can go on this individual quest to become free from desire. Islam, that you can submit to religious laws for the sake of paradise after death. But Jesus, in Jesus, God came to you. In Jesus, God came to people who were locked in a prison cell. I don't, you, there, somebody said at one time, like, you, every one of us can try to swim across the Atlantic Ocean. Some people will make it farther than others. Everyone will drown. We don't need better swimming techniques. We need a savior. We need someone who comes and swims us across, right? Jesus is unlike anyone else. He entered our prison cell and he himself loosened our chains and carried us out. He gave his life to set us free from death, to set us free from sin and the consequences of sin, set us free from the devil. He's purchased you with the price of his life, the very life of the Son of God. And here's the beautiful thing. He didn't ask you to pitch in. This isn't a cost share, right? <laughs> this, this isn't a matching gift program. This isn't a down payment on a home. You don't pitch in 3% and he says, I'll meet you the other 97. I'll give you a loan of my goodness for 30 years. And if you stay straight and don't default, then the house is yours. That's not the gospel. <laughs> yeah, praise God. That's not the gospel. He doesn't ask us to pitch in. He's not concerned with your resume. He's not concerned with how good you can perform. Just like Marshall said, he's not concerned with how much you've messed up because he's the one that does the saving. We can't climb far enough. We can't be good enough. We cannot. And we need someone outside of ourselves to rescue us from that prison. That's the gospel. Romans 3.24 says this, we were justified through the redemption, through the purchasing, through the ransom that is in Jesus Christ. We were set free. And now, Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. No condemnation. What does that mean? No judgment. If there's a thought in your head as a believer of condemnation for your sin, it is not from God. It is from the slanderer and the liar and the deceiver. So Jesus, by forgiving our sins, Galatians 3.13, he says this, Jesus redeemed us, purchased us, ransomed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. 1 Peter 2.24, Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree. Isaiah 53, 6, the Lord has laid on Jesus, well, it says him, but it's talking about Jesus, the iniquity of us all. 2 Corinthians 5, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. The great exchange. 
that all who come to him, all who are thirsty, all who are hungry, all who are weary, all who are weak, all who need rest can simply say, I need you. I need a savior. I can't do it. And he exchanges his righteousness, his strength, his holiness, his goodness, his purity, his truth for everything about you. He just exchanges it. I'll take the sin, you take my righteousness. And so when God forever, right now and for all eternity, when you trust in God, when he sees you, he sees Jesus. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. So, so what are we redeemed for? What are we purchased for? What are we ransomed for? To be a kingdom, to glorify God, and to enjoy him forever. God set us free from sin. He set us free from the penalty of sin from our rebellious hearts, from the wrath of God, so that he might give us everlasting joy of belonging to him as his treasure, as his kings and queens, and as his priests and rulers over the earth. Let me, let me go back so we can see, see that. I should have put the verse here, sorry. You have made them to be a kingdom, verse 10, and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth kingdom, priest, and they will reign on the earth. And then they break out and worship. <clears throat> That's what we were purchased for. That's what we are redeemed for, to belong to God. Him as our king, us as his rulers, priests. <clears throat> and he's reinstated the vocation, the mission that he gave to the original men and women back in Genesis, which was what? To be wise, just, and good stewards of creation. To be priests, to mediate God's goodness and grace to creation and mediate creation's thanks and praise back to God. Priests and kings, wise rulers, and now because of what Jesus has done, we are walking royalty, royal priests, ambassadors of a king. That in, in 2 Corinthians 5 where it says we are now ambassadors of reconciliation. We get to go to everyone and say, be reconciled to God. He's taking care of your sin. He's taking care of the slavery. He's taking care of the consequences of your sin. Be reconciled. So this, this is both a now and not yet reality that we are already royalty. We are already kings and queens in training. We are already priests who are being made like our high priest, but there is a day coming when we will reign in the new heavens and the earth under our good king. That's where history is heading. Like C.S. Lewis said, you've never met a mere mortal You've met, met, only met people that will live forever and ever and ever. What Paul says, people that will judge angels. Now, that, that has implications for how we live. Uh, speaking of judging angels, in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul, Paul just gets, he's just annoyed, I think, with the Corinthian church. Um, and he's writing to them. They're fighting each other, and they're so, they're fighting each other, and then they're suing each other. They're taking each other to court. So they're fighting, they're taking each other to court, and Paul says something really remarkable. He says, why, why are you suing each other? Don't you know you'll judge the world? Don't you know that you'll judge angels? Don't you know you were made to reign on the earth to be a kingdom and priest? Don't you know that you're kings and queens in training? So start exercising, this is basically what he says, start exercising that wisdom, that goodness, that royal priesthood now. And he goes, in that, he goes a step further, which this is a whole other sermon, but this is the life of our king living in us. He says, why not rather be wronged? 
If you've got a dispute, why not rather be wronged for the sake of love, for the sake of unity? Okay, that, that, the world is watching how we treat each other, how we love each other. So Jesus has redeemed us. He's redeemed us from slavery. He's redeemed us with his blood, the death of the lamb. He's redeemed us to be a kingdom, and he's redeemed us to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Um, not many people are catechized uh, today, but in the Westminster Catechism, one of the questions they would ask the children they had to memorize was, what is the chief end of man? What is the purpose of mankind? And the answer was to glorify God and enjoy him forever. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. So you see these, all of heaven, they're having a good time. And they are worshiping him. They're loving him. We're gonna spend ages and ages and ages and ages Yes, worshiping God, but we're going to spend ages enjoying him, enjoying the lamb, enjoying the lion, enjoying the one who redeemed us, who loved us. Jesus is worthy of your life because of what he's done. Um, We're going to get back into worship in a minute and just love on Jesus, thank him for what he's done, to declare his worthiness. But I I want to talk about the end of the story the end of history, that scroll that the lamb is worthy to receive, all the seals are broken, it's laid out. Here's here's how it all ends. Jesus makes all things new. That's how it all ends. Way back, first book in the Bible, Genesis, beginnings, God is the creator and he made everything that we see. And he made it out of nothing. And as the masterpiece of his creation, God made man in his image. In the image of God, he made them male and female. And he commanded them to tend and to protect his creation, to fill the earth, to rule wisely over creation and all its creatures, sons and daughters, a family of royal priesthood. And then in chapter three, this serpent shows up, this deceiver, this accuser, this slanderer, and he questions the true king's word And he lies about God, that serpent, the devil, the dragon, deceived God's children and ensnared them in his rebellion against the king. And they became enslaved to fear and sin and death and condemnation. And then Genesis chapter three, Jesus, I mean, God comes and he asks Adam, where are you, Adam? The father looking for his creation, the God of the universe, seeking to be present with his people again, the God who pursues men and women, while we were still sinners. All the way back in the garden, we see that. The God who pursued us in love. Adam, who hid in shame, but God pursued him in love. But when Adam encountered God, he came face to face with a holy judge, and Adam was ashamed. And as a result of his sin, and his shame and his guilt, death, sin, condemnation entered the world. But there is a beautiful promise First messianic promise in the Bible, Genesis 3.15. God gives this wonderful promise to humanity. Looking at his creation, his son and his daughter who've just been, been enslaved to sin and to fear and to death. And he looks at that serpent and he says, I will put enmity, warfare, between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head. He will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. The promise comes to fallen humanity. Someone is coming. Born of a woman to crush the serpent's head. Someone 
is coming to reverse the curse and to redeem, to ransom, to purchase humanity back from slavery. And so the whole Bible story is like an echo of Revelation 5 where uh, they're crying out, who is worthy? Who is worthy? Who is worthy? Is he the promised one? Is it, is it Abel? And then we see Cain kill his brother. Is it Seth? No. Is it Noah? Is it Moses? Is it Joshua? Is it Abraham, Isaac, Jacob? Is it David? Is it Solomon? Samson? The judges? Is it Deborah? Is it? No. And, and the whole story is an echo. Who is worthy? We're waiting for the fulfillment of God's promise. And Malachi ends with this cliffhanger of there is the day of the Lord and it is coming. The day of the Lord is coming. He is coming. And meanwhile, God's people are in captivity. When? Where? How? Who? And in the fullness of time, Jesus came forth from a woman. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. God himself came to crush Satan, to forgive sin and to kill death. He became like us, the word made flesh. And how did he do it? Like a king? Yes, but just not like we thought, right? Not like the people thought. The lion did come, but the lion became a lamb and laid down his life. And through his love, this king conquered. He sweat drops of blood in Gethsemane to redeem the cursed ground from Genesis chapter three. On the cross, he took the punishment for our sin on himself. He died our death. He exhausted the fury of the wrath we deserved. Evil poured out its full vengeance on Jesus and he absorbed it and buried it and rose again on the third day. Adam was the one meant to wear a crown and Jesus came and wore a crown of thorns. Adam was ashamed of his failure, of his nakedness, and he sought to hide behind fig leaves. But Jesus, through the shame and nakedness of the cross, clothed Adam's people in righteousness. It was by the death of Jesus that that serpent encountered death, and the children of Adam found life. The nails that went through the feet of Jesus did indeed bruise his heel, but they crushed the serpent's head. Through Adam, the tree of knowledge brought death, but Jesus tasted death on a tree to bring us life. Through Adam, a grave came out of a garden, but through Jesus, he made a garden out of a graveyard. Yeah, yeah, thank you, Jesus. He rose from the dead victorious. The good news, you don't have to be a slave anymore. The slave masters are dead. That's the good news. You don't have to be a slave. The prison door is open. The chains are off. He's come and he's defeated the slave masters and removed the one weapon the enemy had against us. Condemnation. You deserve this. You're not good enough. You deserve punishment. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's not the end of the story. You don't have the last word, amen. You don't have the last word. Accuser, slanderer, Jesus does. Colossians 2, 13 through 15, you were dead in your trespasses. You were dead. You're dead in your sins, but God made you alive together with him, having forgiven all of your trespasses, past, present, and future. How did he do it? He canceled the record of debt that stood against us, having nailed them to the cross. He held that record of your debt in his hand, and as the nails went through his hands, they pierced that, and his blood wiped away the record of your debt, wiped it away, blotted it out. 
And it says he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. That's the devil and all his minions by triumphing over them. The record of our debt nailed to the cross, wiped away. And that one weapon, accusation, condemnation has been taken out of the enemy's hand. Yeah, he he hasn't yet been cast in the lake of fire. He will be. He still prowls around like a lion, but he's defeated. His power to condemn is gone. The one weapon he had is stripped from his hand, namely that we are guilty and we should perish. But all those who trust in Jesus will never perish. Nothing. Romans 8. Go and read Romans 8, 37 through 38 in that range where it says nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And I want you to, and just, I spent a day one time just jotting out, adding things to that. Nothing. You can fill in anything. Nothing will separate you from the love of God and Jesus Christ. So we don't have to fear anymore. Um, We don't have to fear condemnation. I want to read Revelation 21. This is the end of the story. This is what God is doing and will do. He will make all things new. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no crying, no pain for the old things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne, the one that has all the authority and all the power to do this said, I am making everything new. (laughs) Amen. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. God tells John, write it down. I'm going to do it. I'm trustworthy. I'm true. Why did he do all this? Why, why did Jesus buy us back from slavery at the cost of his own life? Why did he leave heaven, put on flesh, become one of us, live a perfect life, even though he was tempted every day to sin and die the death of a sinner? He did it because he loves you. He did it because he loves you and I. He wanted to redeem his sons and daughters from slavery. He wanted to redeem his daughter Eve and his son Adam who were tricked by Satan in the garden, who he used to walk with, who he communed with. It was to redeem them. It was to make good on a promise that he gave to a little girl in Genesis chapter three, to make good on the promise. I'm gonna send a seed. I'm gonna send a savior through you to crush the head of Satan. He loves you. And it's not because we have everything put together. It's not because you climbed halfway to him or you gave a down payment. He paid the down payment and then he paid it in full. He paid it all. It's not because we're enlightened enough, nothing we've done. It's all him, his divine love. God so loved you that he gave Jesus. That if you just trust him, trust him, just give him your life. You'll never perish, but you'll live forever. Never perish, but you'll live forever. One last thing, and then let's, well, worship team, if y'all want to go ahead and come up. (laughs) You know what what I love about Jesus? Taking the punishment we deserved, dying the death we deserved, is he didn't have to. 
He wanted to. That will transform your thinking when you realize Jesus delights in showing mercy. He didn't do it because God held his arm and said, you better go, Jesus. One of us has to save him. They're a bunch of mess-ups. You gotta, it's you. You drew, you drew the, the bad lot. You've got to go, Jesus. No, from the beginning of time, God planned this. I want to save my people. He wanted to. Hebrews 12 said he did it because his heart, his mind, his will, his gaze was fixated on a greater joy. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was that joy? A redeemed people. His joy was your freedom. His joy was you being set free of finally saying to Adam and Eve's children, the curse is no more. The joy of loving us and being loved by us forever. So there's no condemnation in Jesus. The accuser has been silenced. And listen, if you're walking through the shadow, the valley of death, this is the end of the story. God dwelling with his people again. They will be his people. He will be their God and he will wipe away every tear. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain for those things have passed away. He's making all things new. Live in that reality. Fix your gaze on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and despised its shame and sat down at the right hand of God. The Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God who was slain and who has conquered and who is worthy of all honor and power and wisdom and worship. He's worthy of your life. He's worthy of your life. Just give it to him. Just yield. That's it. That's the gospel. We don't have to muster it up. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to pay for it. Just yield to him what he's already done. Amen. Let's all stand and sing this song. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To find out more about our ministry, visit hhcboone.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram at Harvest House Church Boone.